it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Thursday afternoon. Want to thank everyone for tuning and locking us in. This afternoon, of course, you can download the Sound of Mobile app and correspond with us as well. Of course, you can find our sister stations on that Sound of Mobile app. So if you have not done so, make sure you download that free app to any Android or Apple device that you may have. So it's a great way to correspond with all the stations here under the Sound of Mobile app. And you can also give us a call at 251 694-1055 and Thursday afternoon Michael Brauner in the building how's it going my man oh it's going man it is it is going you know I, peek behind the curtain I'm in the process of <laughs> of moving today so uh you know got in about 10 minutes ago appreciate you holding it down for me before the show but uh we're getting it done it'll be a process Getting ready for Nashville next week. A lot going on in the in the life of Michael Bronner. So. Well, looking forward to SEC Media Days next week in Nashville, Tennessee. Only the third venue in the history of the Southeastern Conference Media Days, of course, for many moons held in Birmingham, Alabama, and then moved to Atlanta. And, of course, Atlanta being the College Football Hall of Fame home and then this year, going to the Music City, and there'll be thousands of people throughout the entire week next week in Nashville, Tennessee. And one of the persons who we will be hearing from early in Nashville and we'll be hearing from for quite a long time is SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey as he signed an extension through twenty. 28. So I think Commissioner Sankey, when you look at what he's been able to accomplish in the SEC, of course, any conference commissioner that was able to go ahead and get past COVID and get through COVID and find a way to go ahead and make your student athletes be able to participate in all sports, Commissioner Sankey was at the forefront of making sure the Southeastern Conference was prepared and how they were going to to handle that. And I know that Commissioner Sankey, he, he's gone through renegotiations of the television deals, not knowing that Oklahoma and Texas, when they did come in and you signed with ESPN, I think that that's really the only blemish or the only mark that you could talk about, Commissioner Sankey, because I know he wishes – that he would have had an opportunity to go ahead and renegotiate that contract. And that's why when you look at the extra ninth game being added to the conference, you, you know, ESPN 
saying, look, we've already paid X amount of dollars. You know, we're going to pay X amount of dollars. But the national championships that have been won while he has been the commissioner, over 48 national titles. And you look at this season alone, Georgia in football, of course, LSU in baseball and women's basketball, Florida in golf and outdoor track and field, Arkansas ran the gamut in indoor and outdoor and women's indoor and outdoor. And, of course, you can't forget about Vanderbilt and their bowling national championship. But I will say that as a whole, the league continues to grow. It continues to flourish. And Commissioner Greg Sankey, one of the most down-to-earth commissioners across the country that you'll meet, very approachable, very reliable and and he'll speak to you and I guarantee we'll hear from him live on the final drive sometime next week from Radio Row Um, and he'll stop by and and he'll let us know what it means to him to get that extension and then continue to lead the Southeastern Conference. Yeah Greg Sankey is so good at his job that when uh, you know Mark Emmert was done uh, as you know commissioner of the end of the NCAA, you know, people were worried, oh, is, is Greg Sankey going to take over that job? You know, obviously Greg Sankey has done a phenomenal job, and, uh, you know, people people were legitimately concerned about that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's done literally as good of a job as you can possibly ask for. I, I, I don't really – you don't really ever hear anyone say anything negative about Greg Sankey, do you? No, I mean, a- as a whole, like I say, the only blemish that you really can say – is the fact when Oklahoma and Texas are able to jump in and join the SEC, you had already signed that new television deal with ESPN and ABC. And I know it's going to take a long time for people to get and take the fact that they're getting away from CBS, but the the billion-dollar deals that he's been able to make as a whole, I know that it's probably another couple of mil that he's missing out on, but... We do have a caller on the line, Michael. Patrick, let's see. Let's hear what he has to say. Fire here. away, Patrick. Go ahead, brother. How are you doing this afternoon? Thanks for giving us a call. Look, look here. Greg Sankey oh, is boy. not good. Name me one thing that he has done that sets him above the rest of the other commissioners. He didn't negotiate no billion-dollar deal. We all know attorneys are doing that. Mm-hmm. The officiating sucks year in and year out in every sport. You all ask Ole Miss, ask Arkansas. Remember the little throw behind the thing with Bo Nix? So what does he do well? The, the, I mean, what does he do? Is this... The only reason he's there is because he was Mike Sly's assistant. He has done nothing. The only thing he has done is offered an invitation to two big schools that want to come to SEC anyway. Period. He's done nothing. Is this like, still about the Alabama-Tennessee game? Is this still about the Kool-Aid McKinstry pass interference? <laughs> No, no, no. This is about the Bo, the Bo Nicks throwing it behind the line of scrimmage, spiking the ball, costing the Arkansas game. This is about the, the, the uh, call that cost the Ole Miss a game where Lane Kiffin got fined and paid 25,000 pennies. This is about the basketball games over and over and over again. I mean, let me continue. Name me one thing that Greg Sankey has done that makes him a great commissioner. One thing, just one. I, I will say this. That, that conference expansion. I could set a 10-year-old in front of the SEC office, and it runs itself. Alabama, LSU, Auburn, 
Ole Miss, Tennessee, Georgia, that's what runs the SEC, not Greg Sankey. He has a puppet head, he has a mouthpiece, and that's all he does. And Paul Feinbaum sits there and kisses his behind every day and never <laughs> asks him any hard questions, period. I think one of the hard questions that you do have to ask him is, as would he have things to do it over again in regards to the Oklahoma and Texas expansion to the SEC from a television money standpoint? And I know, Michael, we do have another caller on the air as well. Chuck, you want to go ahead and, and refute? Yeah, as far as what has Greg Sankey done, one thing that was good, let's go back to 2020. Larry Scott, then commissioner of the Pac-12. Uh, Warren, then the commissioner of the Big Ten. You remember what they both did? They came out and said, we're canceling college football oh, yeah. season. We're not, we're not going to play. Greg Sankey said, well, put the brakes here a little bit. We're going to play. There was never a question as to whether the SEC was going to play in 2020. Well, who? my point being, then, who ended up playing? Yeah. Everybody did. Yeah. Sankey said, "Yeah, it can be done. It will be done." No, so, uh, it's a great point. If no, it weren't, if it weren't for the SEC, there might not have been college football in 2020. That that is correct. That is correct. So bad calls and all, it's still better than no football. It, it is, it, and and that's a great you, point as far as Chuck. Thank you all for right, calling. Sir. And I will say, you know, Patrick wanted you to name one thing. Well. It, one thing on his watch is the expansion of the SEC, Texas and Oklahoma, because Texas and Oklahoma have had other opportunities to join the SEC and they have said no, and it didn't happen. And it has happened now and moving forward, like I say, the only blemish that you can really say for Commissioner Sankey is saying, man, I wish that instead of a $3 billion ESPN-ABC deal that we would look at the ninth game coming in and what kind of revenue would that have added to our stream? I now, mean, you say that, but, like, for the common fan, do I care how much TV revenue the SEC is getting from ESPN? I don't no, care. No, as a common fan, I don't think you, you do, but you do have to uh, understand the business model of anything, sure. right? So the business model says, you know, you, once you hit your budget – Okay, anything that you can get in the surplus from a standpoint which the SEC continues to rack in by the number of national championship appearances they have, by continuing to have every round that they continue to have a Final Four participant, that revenue sharing of the bowl games are outstanding also. But the presidents, the chancellors, the athletic directors all give him a vote of confidence. So those in high up places yeah. across the SEC apparently believe in Greg Sankey too. I think there's a tendency to kind of just naturally hate the person who's in power. It's it's kind of similar to Roger Goodell. You see every bit. commissioner get booed. Yeah. You and, don't and, see any of them get applauded. And again, you know, being a Patriots fan, I'm no fan of Roger Goodell. But in terms of like let's look at the four major the four commissioners of the major sports, like Roger Goodell's Kind of by far the best commissioner in the NFL, uh, in the, across all major sports. It's not it's not really close, you know. Say what you want about the guy, but he does a phenomenal job expanding the NFL brand. Yes, he pushes NFL football like it's the easiest product on the planet to push. And you can kind of make the argument similar to SEC athletics, but you know, someone's got to expand that brand. 
Yeah, and, and, and who better than the commissioner in, char in charge? And I think that you look at Sankey coming into the SEC office, how he first came in was in, as an associate commissioner in 02, and then when he became the, the chief operating officer in 2012 before being named to replace the late Mike Slive, he, he knows a thing or two about Budgets, And I, I'm telling you, as a COO, he is kicking himself knowing that Texas and Oklahoma and the conference is eventually going to go to a nine-game conference format. Now, is he losing anything from this eight-game conference format? Absolutely not. But when they go to nine, which is coming, there's no way to renegotiate those deals. Why would you? And the fact that, look, when things go great, the, the the company's top dog gets all the credit. When things go yeah. horribly wrong, who takes all the heat? Yeah. And I think the fact that you don't have to look any further than 2020, like Chuck said, to where no one thought that there was going to be college football. What were we going to do? When when March hit and April hit, we were we were trying to find a way to make it through and to have college football. And and Commissioner Sankey made sure that the SEC, even though it was just 10 games, he found a way to get it done. And I know we do have another caller on the air. Our guy, Anti-Rise What's going on, man? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. So I initially agreed with the, the original caller's premise that, you know, you could put a 10-year-old a, a in the front office and the SEC <laughs> runs itself. There's not a lot that Sankey can hang his hat on that he's done. I agree with that 100%. You do bring up a very valid point, unless the next caller did that he did push the envelope in a very uncertain world, regardless of what you want to believe about the truth of how uncertain it was during that time. Uh, but he did put us all in the stadiums for 2020, so I will give the man credit for that. But to your point, if you don't think that the SEC is going to renegotiate that deal when they go to nine games, if you don't think Shanky already knew he was going to be able to renegotiate when he brought Texas and Oklahoma in behind closed doors, when everyone else was talking about the alliance and what was going to happen and blah, 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 the SEC is not going to go to nine games and then just give that broadcasting rights to the new partner for free. If they want those ninth game that everyone's going to play, they're going to have to pay for it. And if they don't want to pay for it, they'll just go to somebody else because CBS would take those games in a heartbeat. Anyway, thanks for taking my call. War Eagle. Thank you, Anti. Roll well, it, it, uh, <laughs> it, It's a very interesting dynamic because at, at this point in time, CBS is losing the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, I think everyone would have preferred, you know, staying with CBS. It just wasn't. Uh, you know, it wasn't really an option there. Well, I, I will say this again. What other commissioner it was able to go ahead and say, yes, Texas and Oklahoma, you're coming to the SEC and to get that done? Because don't think that prior commissioners have not talked to Texas and Oklahoma. Sure. And because th that's a power move in regards to what you're bringing to the conference. And Oklahoma and Texas across the board are great in multiple sports to where that's even going to be more money in the SEC's pocket when it comes to bowl game appearances and NCAA tournament appearances and national championships that are won. So I think, I think that Commissioner Sankey did deserve 
a contract extension. Who else do you want to run the SEC? Yeah, that, if it's not Commissioner Sankey, who else is it? No, that's a uh, that's probably the best way to put it. I think another underrated aspect is like look at the increase. And yes, this is not Greg Sankey's direct doing, but look at the increase in conference quality in basketball. I mean, what it's probably seven or eight years ago, it's kind of Kentucky and everyone else. Now it's really ever. I mean, top to bottom, it's the second or third strongest conference in the country. You got it's one of the more competitive leagues in the country. You got top recruits coming to I mean, Arkansas, Alabama, all these schools that are legit. I mean, Auburn. I mean, yes, part of the fact is you have Bruce Pearl, Nate Oates coming in and reviving dead programs. Yes, but that being said, I mean. It's a legitimate basketball conference, whereas a decade ago, you couldn't really say that. But here's what Commissioner Sankey has also been able to do. When he stands in front of these coaches and athletic directors and says, hey, look, you didn't make the NCAA tournament because of your scheduling and because of who you scheduled and your non-conference schedule mm -hmm. and, and scheduling cupcakes. Well, guess what? You don't see any cupcake games anymore as a whole in NCAA basketball because he made that demand. You need to go out and find quality opponents. That's why you see the SEC ACC challenge because now when you're looking for those quality wins, it's not against a division two school or against a division three school that you happen to play twice that did any, didn't do anything for your RPI ranking when it came to either bowl game time or NCAA selection Sunday time. So the demand that he's put on these athletic directors and coaches across the board, the quality of opponents has improved under Commissioner Sankey in all sports. It's not even an argument. Yeah, you can't you can't argue against that 100%. I mean, look at the teams that got left out of the NCAA tournament, like your Rutgers of the world. Why do you think they got left out? It wasn't because they weren't good enough of a team like the Auburns of the world who were kind of on the bubble as we headed down yeah, the last absolutely. couple weeks of the season. They ended up getting in, and it wasn't really even a question by the end because they're playing quality opponents in the regular season, whereas Rutgers, you know, you can make the argument was a better team. doesn't really matter when uh, when you're, uh, you're stacking up quad four wins. So I don't know, man. I, I think it's silly to, uh, you know, dump on Greg Sankey. Well, people always want to dump on someone, and like you said, it, it happens to be the person in charge. And for those that, that don't like Commissioner Sankey, go ahead and, and get in the Sound of Mobile app. Let us know here on the WNSP app after you download it for free under the Sound of Mobile and you choose WNSP as your option. Let us know if, if it's not Commissioner Sankey, who would you love to see run the SEC? And we'll take that and run with that, and we'll talk on that as well. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 will be returning again. Lindy Davis will be joining us at 3.30 from Lindy's Magazine in his 42nd year of publication. We'll be joining us at 3.34 o'clock. Lindsey Crosby, and of course, it's a Tide and Tiger Thursday edition of the final drive. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Cornelius Bennett, three-time All-American College Football Hall of Fame, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, and of course, you can download the free sound of mobile app 
and have an opportunity to correspond with us in the WNSP app as we love to get your questions and comments and concerns. It's a way, great way for us to, to be interactive and get ready for this high school and collegiate and NFL football season as well. And of course, you know, five days out of the week, the entire 52 weeks, we're here on the final drive. And we, again, give us a call, 251-694-1055. Commissioner Sankey was the subject of our discussion in the first segment. And, of course, Commissioner Sankey does have that contract extension through 2028. Someone else who got a contract extension was a former Alabama player, Quentin Williams, finally gets the bag. Four-year, $96 million deal with the Jets. $66 million of that guaranteed. You think about C.J. Mosley's deal. C.J. had $51 million guaranteed in his contract. Now the Jets have two of the highest-paid players at their position, that being Aaron Rodgers and now Quentin Williams. Quentin Williams continues to get better his first three years, 15 and a half sacks total, and now last year, 12 sacks. But uh, another reason to watch Hard Knocks that will be coming on featuring the New York Jets. Anytime you have Aaron Rodgers and Quentin Williams together, you weren't quite sure whether that was going to be part of the storyline, part of the saga, and him not arriving to camp and, and sitting out waiting for them to negotiate that deal. But Quinnen is definitely one of those characters that is is very well deserving. And kudos to, to him finding a way to be patient enough for the Jets to, to, to work it out. Now, the question is, in the division yesterday, Bronner, you kind of touched on it. Can there be three wild card teams or three teams from the same division there that are going to be successful in the playoffs. Will the Jets end their playoff drought now that they definitely have secured Quentin Williams? Again, now with the – so, you know, they changed the rule two or three years back now, so seven teams from each conference make the playoffs, so three wild card teams and the four division winners. So – you know, it hasn't happened yet, but theoretically it is possible for four, for all four teams in a division to make the playoffs. I think only one team from the AFC West makes it the division winner. It's going to be the Chiefs. Uh, I think probably only one team from the South makes it the division winner. I mean, the division is awful, and the division winner is going to be the Jaguars. So it really just leaves the AFC East and the AFC North. The AFC North is like border – it's is really strong too. So I, I think it will be very – very unlikely that the AFC East gets four teams in the playoffs. You know, borderline impossible because I think two teams from the, the North end up making it as well, at least. I mean, I just think it's too strong. But, you know, who knows? It's possible. Well, I, I think that you're definitely going to favor the Bills. and Yeah, 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 in, yeah. In, in that matchup, when you do have the Bills and the Dolphins playing one another, you'll kind of see – what 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 you're gonna have because our, our, our buddy Bills, Mac Jones Bills better be looking for a wild card spot because uh, Patriots are gonna win the division. Well, I, I if you think the Patriots are gonna win that division, it, it, and, wh and what what do you, what are you are you gonna base that on just being a fan and, and, and the 
hopeful wishes of, of being that fan, or are you going to say that they're going to win it because Mac Jones has a new coordinator in town? Well, I think I think the new coordinator certainly <laughs> helps. I mean, hopefully they're still going to have a top three defense in the league, and, uh, you know, I, I, there's certainly some bias there, but we'll talk more about this later. <laughs> the Jets, 7-10. A year ago, looking to end that long playoff drought. And anytime you add Aaron Rodgers and are able to sign Quentin Williams, that's a step in the right direction, whatever division you're in. Lindy Davis, publisher of Lindy's Magazine, always look forward to scooping that off the bookshelf. We'll be able to talk about that next with the owner and founder of Lindy's Magazine coming up next here on The Final Drive. This is Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Thursday afternoon. And we want to thank everyone for having us locked and loaded. Of course, you can go ahead and correspond with us on the app that's a free download the sound of mobile app as we get ready for the high school collegiate and nfl season we'd love to correspond with you in that sound of mobile app as well as you can give us a call at 251-694-1055 and i tell you this michael Bronner, i know that you're a lot younger than i am but when i was growing up i loved to go to the grocery store and find magazines about either college or NFL football. And when I saw that the new magazine was coming out to give you a preview on what to expect, I wanted to see who was going to be on the cover. Uh, kind of like when you have Madden, you want to see who's going to be on the cover. But our next guest is one that he always has an opportunity to put whoever he wants to in college football on his cover. Lindy Davis making his debut here on the final drive has been having Lindy Sports Magazine for over 42 years when I asked him earlier, and that's just a remarkable feat. Lindy, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us here on The Final Drive. Well, Corey, thanks for having me on. It proves I'm not a youngster. That's what it proves. Hey, 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 that's okay, because I I tell you what, you're always young at heart when it comes to, to getting ready for college football, and as soon as that national championship ends i guarantee you're in a situation to where you're already getting ready to prepare for your magazine to hit the debut and hit the stores so there's always year-round work for yourself no doubt about it we actually do 15 magazines a year we do seven football we do three baseball uh two basketball and then we do three championship issues each year so we're we're busy year-round getting magazines, no doubt about it. But football is kind of our bread and butter, and it's May uh, and June. That's all we do is work pretty much putting putting all our football books out. Well, I tell you, when you look on the cover this year, you know, and it's always sometimes regional, but when you and collector's items as well for if you're ever able to see the athlete that's on the cover, but. You, like most people, I know your publication probably likes Georgia to go ahead and create a little bit of history in three-peat. Well, you, everyone knows how well Kirby Sparks re- recruited, so their roster is 
as stacked as anybody's. You know, they they actually lost less this year to the NFL draft than they did last year. They've got the roster to do it. There's no question about it. Their schedule sets up beautifully. I mean, Auburn is probably the only losable game out of their first ten at Auburn. If you and that, you know, they'll be a strong favorite there. Their schedule sets up beautifully. Uh, they do have a question of quarterback. They've got a new quarterback. We're not sure. Beckham is probably was a leader in the clubhouse in the spring. But but that's always a question mark. But no doubt, things set up well for Georgia. But I will tell you this, the pressure builds uh, no matter what has happened in the past. I think there's a reason there's never been a, a team to win three in the pole area. And I think of the pressure. I think the pressure has a lot to do with it. I think the players know it. Everybody's talking about it. So they are the favorite. But uh, – it's a long way to the finish line. Absolutely a long way to the finish line. So many things can happen, and, and it's those off-season or off-field distractions sometimes that even kind of sideline you before you start. But the great thing this year about college football, especially in the SEC, is Alabama having five quarterbacks on the roster, Auburn having a brand-new transfer quarterback coming in the portal. You look at Georgia and what they're having to replace, Tennessee, what they're having to replace. So there's a lot of new faces that are coming into the SEC that you just really don't know maybe until that third or fourth game what we're going to get out of the SEC. No doubt about it. A lot of new quarterbacks this year. Also, though, just with the portal, I mean, rosters change so quickly now between the recruiting and, and the portal. I mean, really, it's a new team. It always was a new team every year. Fourth of you guys are leaving every year no matter what, but then you've got the guys leaving early for the NFL. And now with the portal, freshmen being more ready to play than they ever were because of all the development in high school and everything. So it's just – you really have a new team every year, more so than you ever did. So it's exciting. I mean, you can really make a big move in one year. There's no question about it. Talking to Lindy Davis, publisher of Lindy's Football Mag. Lindy, I want to ask you about Alabama's Week 2 game against Texas. I've heard some Alabama fans call it the biggest non-conference game in the history of Bryant-Denny Stadium, which I think is a bit overdramatic, but Alabama's in an interesting spot. You know, for the first time in almost a decade, they won't have elite quarterback play. We'll see if it can even be good, but, you know, how much are you anticipating? I think we'll really find out exactly what Alabama is capable of being early on. I agree. I think, well, it's the biggest game in Bryant-Denny since the 19 LSU game. For sure, I would say, but non-conference, you probably would have to go back a long way. I don't know if it's the biggest game. I hadn't really thought about it, but uh, they haven't played that many big non-conference games in Bryant Benny, so it might be a true statement. It's a big game. Alabama's going to have to score some points. Texas got a terrific quarterback. They've got terrific receivers. They've got a big stud tight end who's one of the two or three best in the country behind Brock Bowers uh, at Georgia, and they've got Two really good wide, wide outs. The kid Alabama couldn't cover last year, and they got transferred from Georgia. So uh, they'll score some points. Alabama's better get a quarterback ready because they're going to have to score some points to win that football game, in my opinion. So it, it, I agree. It's the it's most anticipated game outside of the LSU game. Maybe the best non-conference game I can remember either in Bryant-Denny. So, yeah, it should be a good barometer for how good Alabama is this year. 
Lindy, when you look at the growth of college football, of course, when we were opening up the segment to our show this afternoon, we were looking at Commissioner Sankey getting that extension on his contract, and I thought that, that was good for the SEC moving forward. But there have been prior commissioners that wanted Texas and Oklahoma to join the SEC. That in 2024, I know that that just makes for some interesting geography and some interesting coverage and a, a big difference when you start looking at the overall alignment of all the conferences that are involved. No question about it. It's exciting times. I mean, personally, I hope the SEC doesn't expand anymore. That's just my feelings on it. I mean, now, I, I was really disappointed when they went when they announced that they're only going to play the eight conference games last year. You're not playing it, the other schools enough as it is now, and now you're adding two teams. I hope they're going to change that to a nine-conference nine schedule at some point. But anyway, uh, it's exciting times in the league. Uh, the league's already brutal. It's going to be more brutal with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. Obviously, huge changes in the Big 12 this year. Next year, the Big 10, of course, with USC and UCLA going to the Big 10. So, tremendous change in college football. But I think it's exciting times in college football. The 12-team playoff next year. A lot of change, a lot of excitement. Uh, of course, the NIL gets a lot of publicity, and most fans don't like that so much, but it is what it is. It's part of the game. So you just need a scorecard to keep up. Just another reason you need to buy a magazine, right? Absolutely, and that's the great part about it. When you're able to, to see what the meat and potatoes are of what you're able to publish, most of the time, you know, you're, you're starting quarterback and you're starting wide receiver. It's not going to change from the time when it does hit publication. Even though we did see after the spring game, there were a lot of movement. That's why you probably published here in July and late June and not May because of so much transition. But looking at the Big 12 as a whole as they're having their media days, when I think about Big 12, I definitely don't think about including Central Florida in the geography of that or Cincinnati or West Virginia. And I know you just have to find a way to get teams in, but is that good or bad for college football? Well, I don't know if it's good or bad. It is what it is. I mean, the Big 12, listen, they had to, they had to make a move with Oklahoma and Texas leaving, and so they did what they had to do to save the conference. And I think they saved the conference. It may not be what it was. But, you know, if I was commissioner, I'd probably done the same thing. I think they've got the most competitive conference in all of college football. I didn't say the best, but they're a deep conference. Uh, they've got a lot of pretty good teams, maybe no great teams. I heard a Big 12 guy the other day on the radio, on Jocks, and I really agree with him. He said this year Texas is clearly number one team. West Virginia is clearly the worst team starting the season. The 12 in between, I'm not sure about anything, and that's about the truth. Uh, you've got a lot of fairly good football teams, but probably no great teams, but it'll be exciting. Uh, you know, you you have to play the, the the cards you're dealt, and you do the best you can. I think that's what the Big 12 did. Oklahoma and Texas could not turn down two things. The money of the, of the SEC was so much greater, and also they could see where they were getting hurt in recruiting because the kids wanted to play in the SEC. So they made a strategic decision that was best in the interest of those two schools. The Big 12 reacted with what they had left, and, you know, they did the best they could. And I think they put together a decent conference, in my opinion. It's not what it was, but it's the best they could do. 
Lindy Davis, publisher of Lindy's Football Magazine, our guest on the final drive this afternoon. Lindy, I want to ask you about four teams versus 12 teams in the college football playoff. Obviously, pretty much every year with the four-team system, there's been some sort of, oh, this team got left out, that wasn't fair, this team should have been in, that team should have been in, and that'll probably continue even with 12 teams. But are you for the 12-team expansion? Do you think it should be more? Do you think, or are you someone who thinks we should go back to a BCS system? What, how, what are your thoughts on all that? If, if it had been up to me, I would have gone to eight. Uh, I, I, I said I was for the four for many years because we were getting the we were getting the correct national champions every year. Nobody really disputed that the the team that was a national champion deserved to be national champion. You couldn't even get competitive semifinal games in half the games. Y'all know that. You know, we hardly have most, most of the semifinal games for blowouts. So I said, when you expand, you're just going to get more blowouts. But for the good of the game, I finally conceded that we've got to expand. So many things felt left out. So many things felt like they didn't have a chance. Conferences didn't have a chance. The same schools were dominating so much. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. I mean, they for the good of college football, they needed to expand. I would have gone to eight versus 12. The thing, But, but it's going to work out. The thing that's always concerned me, when you go to a 12, the teams like Alabama – Georgia and Ohio State, they're just playing each game for a seed now. They're in the playoffs, I mean, pretty much. And I just think you lose something. The more teams you have, I've always said the greatest thing about college football game, college football as a whole, is that every game mattered. The first game of the season really mattered. Every game mattered. The more teams that are in the playoffs, well, that's just diminished just a little bit, in my opinion. Not that they don't still matter. Of course, they still matter. But they don't matter quite as much. You can lose Alabama and Auburn. They play well. The loser Alabama loses the game. They're still going, but they're still going to be in the playoffs. Now that's the big difference, guys. That's the big difference. So, a lot of times you have you have missing Ohio State game. Well, the loser's still going to be in the playoffs. Uh, it's just a matter of seeding. That that diminishes that game. So I'm sorry. So that's just my thing. I think you take a little bit away from the regular season, which is college football has always had the greatest regular season of any sport, nothing close to it. So you lose just a little bit of that, in my opinion. But they had to expand for the good of the game. I probably would have just gone to eight. They went to 12. It is what it is. Well, I tell you, the Sun Belt Conference and here in Mobile, the South Alabama Jaguars with returning close to 20 starters. And it's unbelievable the amount of players Kane Womack has coming back to his school this year. They definitely have to be a favorite in the Sunbelt Conference and to do some damage. Yeah, he's done a great job down there, no doubt about it. Uh, I didn't know that much about him before he got the job, but I know, I know the fan base is excited. And I know with the new stadium and everything, there's got to be a lot of excitement in Mobile for the Jaguars. Absolutely. And, you know, when you look at 266 pages of goodness and of knowledge and of wealth, I, you know, that, that to me in and of itself is worth the price that you are paying. And now you can go digitally. You can go ahead and get it the old school way. Mr. Lindy, please let people know more about your services, how they can subscribe to it, how they can get all that 266 pages of information, football from head to toe, every single conference, every single team covered within your magazine. And you've been doing it for over 42 years of football goodness. Yeah, they can. Uh, it's pretty much we're sold at, in every chain. They should be able to find it at the newsstand at their favorite Publix or 
Barnes & Noble, Walmart. Shouldn't have a problem finding it retail, but if they can't or want to order it from us, they can go to our website, lindysports.com, and just go to our store and order there, and they can pick the cover they want. We have, in football alone, between college and pro, we do like 67 covers, guys, so they can individualize and get what cover they want. Or if that's a problem, they can uh, go to call us, 205-871-1182. Or send us a check in the mail to 2100 Centennial Drive, Birmingham 35216. So a lot of ways to order the magazine. Without question, can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule. And now it's just kind of sit back, relax, and see how those predictions hold up, see how the rosters hold up, see how the national championship shakes out in January. Lindy Davis, thank you so much for joining us here this afternoon on the final drive. Thanks for having me on, guys. Y'all take care. All right. Lindy Davis, publisher there of Lindy Sports Magazine, again, America's leading football authority in college football. Check out that preview. You can definitely go ahead and get the specific cover that you like. I like that as far as regionally. If you want to ship it to somebody else in another area, you can do that as well. The final drive will be right back. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. And want to thank, of course, Lindy Davis, the publisher of Lindy's Magazine, for joining us this afternoon. Now, you know, Michael, we, we, we know who he said was predicted in his publication to win the national championship. I think that that's going to definitely be a media favorite across the board in the country for Georgia to go ahead and, and make history sure. to three-peat. But when you are selected as an all-SEC team member from an Alabama standpoint, who do you think received first-team nominations for the Crimson Tide? For preseason all-SEC? Yes, sir. J.C. Latham. Absolutely. Kool-Aid McKinstry. Of course. Dallas Turner. Absolutely joining us at SEC Media Days. Let's see. Who am I forgetting here? <laughs> the one, the, 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 the person that's really overlooked the most. Hold on, hold on. It, all right, is it offense or defense? I'm not going to tell you. Why? I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm mm -hmm. to make you sweat this one out because it, it, it's one of those that they get no love. Oh, is it Will Riker? Yes, okay. It is. There, there we go. There we go. Yeah, when that was, e that no was easy. Love, that yeah. was easy. Yeah. Will Riker is the most important return to this team. Ab absolutely. If only he could have made a kick against Tennessee. <laughs> the special teams part are very important. Malachi Moore rounds out the second team for his Lindy's preseason All SEC team, and along with Chris Braswell, a, sec a third team rather um, linebacker. You know who's going to be on it by the end of the year. Now that's that's you know you have a couple of freshmen Caleb Downs yeah freshman mm. Malik Benson maybe okay 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 maybe uh maybe Jason McClellan breaks out and has a huge year I think that it'll be a little different list for certain and I just you know I know that from a Crimson Tide standpoint it's definitely one of those that I I wanted to to go ahead and see what your thoughts were for those who could possibly be deserving in Lindy's magazine, but it's one of those publications, 266 pages 
of all of college football. And that's the part that I love about it. And you can go into the grocery store. I, w- I definitely would public buy my publication. And as a kid, you, you depending on who was in the cover and who would come to the Senior Bowl or when you would go to an Alabama football game, you definitely would bring that magazine in for, for them to sign and go ahead and have that to 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 have into your collection as far as from a a standpoint but i got a uh, i got another bold one for you somewhat bold at least all right not even not even all sec but kool-aid mckinstry will be a top five pick in the 2024 nfl draft how about that one top five top five like sauce gardener territory top five Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid's going. His name's Kool-Aid, man. I, I'll give him top ten for sure. Top five. All right. I'm uh, telling you. I'll, I'll definitely hold you to that. We'll revisit that a year from now. Our number two of the final drive, getting ready to come up. Lindsey Crosby scheduled to join us here in our number two. Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner this Thursday afternoon. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brunner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Thursday afternoon. Want to thank everyone for having us tuned in. Of course, you can download the free Sound of Mobile app on any Android or Apple device that you have. That free download gives you an opportunity to choose from the four stations here that are located at 1100 Dolphin Street. And, of course, you want to choose WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 so you can correspond with us on the app. And we love to hear from you as well at 251-694-1055. That's definitely the way that you can correspond with us as well and you know Michael Brauner it's it's one of those Tide and Tiger Thursday editions of the final drive so at five o'clock we'll have Rodney Orr talking a little bit of the Crimson Tide and at 5 30 we'll have Brian Matthews to give us the Tigers side of things so plenty left here to do on today's show no doubt about it, man. It's a Tide and Tiger Thursday. You know what? It's, uh, we're gonna talk Tiger. We're gonna talk Tigers. Our uh, our guy Lindsey Crosby, a little bit of a miscommunication today. Our guy's in Disney World, so he, we're gonna we're gonna give him the week off this week. We'll talk to him next week. No worries. I'm sure I'm sure baseball will still be around next Thursday. At no, 4 it's, it's not. It's not going anywhere. And d- don't know if you had a chance to see any of the ESPY awards oh, from last night, but. You know, LeBron James gets on stage without flopping 
and he lets the world know that he plans on returning to the Los Angeles Lakers next year. Whether was there any a question? See, I missed all of this. So you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, I said yesterday, I hate the ESPYS. I'm not a fan of the ESPYS. So any any news that I, you're gonna have to fill me in on during this segment. So LeBron took the moment on, on stage in sounds sounds like LeBron. Yeah, you know, he uh, he. So he announced he's coming back. Then he did. He did announce that okay. he was coming back. So you know that part of it was good for LeBron. Yeah, and, sure. and and when he had good his for, whole family on stage, it was kind of interesting because his wife was on stage and she was. It was kind of a scripted role, but she was getting ready to say a a, a big time cuss word, and his daughter said "ma" and interrupted her getting ready to say LeBron was the baddest mother, shut your mouth, player on the planet. And it was pretty funny to see all his family on stage to, to have that type of appreciation for LeBron James. But, you know, I mean, you, you can look at the winners from last night kind of off the top of your head. Who do you think that the voters chose for the best overall team? In the ESPYS, the best overall team. What were the nominees? I have no clue. <laughs> you don't nominees. have them in front you, of you. You tell me who the who the who you think the winner should be for the best overall team. Uh probably the Chiefs. That would be the Kansas City Chiefs that would have definitely come away with that. Now, maybe, here, maybe Georgia. Honestly, here's one that was pretty interesting too. Uh, the best comeback athlete, and it's a name that you probably wouldn't think made a comeback but because of how they performed in their particular sport the best comeback athlete best comeback did they give it to Demar Hamlin the best comeback athlete award went to Jamal Murray oh I like that I actually I actually really like that so that's one I that's why if I would have said in the playoffs you know or or based on what he was able to do throughout the season it, it, w- that was to me a great selection that they that they did make and you know Angel Reese continues to be Bayou Barbie she is the best breakthrough athlete and her counterpart who they had basketball beef with that that made women's basketball go crazy the best college athlete in women's sports of course goes to Caitlin Clark I was going to say yeah, best best female athlete in regards to women's college sports went to Caitlin Clark. Now, you know we we we've already talked a little bit about what what's been going on throughout the Buffalo Bills. The Pat Tillman Award for service went to the Buffalo Bills training staff, and for Hamlin, Mr. Hamlin, to to present that award to the staff that saved his life. He got on stage and and, and it he was a mo- it took him probably 15 to 20 seconds to compose himself to where he had an opportunity to go ahead and introduce the Buffalo Bills training staff but to me that that was one of the stories of the year in all of sports because it captivated the country to see if he was going to survive how he was going to survive and the rapid response that was given to guarantee his survival in front of the nation on national television to where you could 
cut away from the cameras if you wanted to, but you knew something serious was going on. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty surreal day, wasn't it? That Monday night football game in Cincinnati, you know, kind of moment where everyone stopped and uh, you know probably remembers where they were when that happened. I mean, you had a a game be canceled during the during the middle of it. I I couldn't tell you the last time that happened in the NFL or really if ever. Uh, so you know, definitely a, a worthwhile award given out there. I'm sure it was a nice moment. Now I I know that. You're you're one of those that that love golf. Who do you think won the best golfer for that received an ESPY? Best golfer. Was it John Rahm? It was not. No. Really? Scotty Scheffler. Man. Scheffler. You you, you got Scheffler. I like Scheffler, but And he know, was my favorite going into to the previous major. You know Rom's my guy, though. Yeah, I, I know you like him a lot. That's my guy. Now, was there any question as to who the best NBA player was going to be voted? It was Jokic. It was. No, no. no there, oh, and for baseball purposes, who do you think won for baseball purposes? Otani. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> some, some of these, they hit right on. Yeah. And, and I mentioned LeBron James. He was the best record-breaking performance. That's the category that he received his SB for for passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I can't believe Scheffler over Rom. Yeah, man, that that's what the SB. That's the route they chose to I go. I get it. He's he's like finished his top ten and quite literally everything. Speaking of, by the way, we do have the British Open next week. Looking forward to that. I think think Rory might break through and win. But uh, that's why I said on Ricchetti on Monday. But uh, you know. Well, he's due. Uh, well, You've been talking about him. Being I certainly due. will not. You know, you know me. I'm no fan of Rory McIlroy. I will not go and pick him. But you know, I do think there's a chance he might win. So, I'd be. It, it would kind of ruin my my month if Rory McIlroy wins the British Open. Well, I, I will say this: as far as from a golfing standpoint and being the last major, you picking Tiger. No, I, I, if, if Tiger was in it, I would. You know I would. You know I would pick Tiger. If Tiger was participating, I definitely would go Tiger for sure. But as far as last night, when you do look at the ESPYs, and you do, I mentioned it yesterday, what Jim Balvano meant to not only ESPN, but to his former players and, and his friends, that he continues to have this great Jimmy V cause and, and Dick Vitale on the day that you're going to have the ESPY awards on the day in which someone is going to win something in his honor as far as Jim Balvano is concerned you turn around and you have Dick Vitale to say he is battling vocal cancer and that part is tough to where Surgery was not going to do it this time. Chemotherapy is what he's going to have to go ahead and go through. So I know yesterday we didn't get a chance to to get your Dick Vitale impression. Oh, boy. Y you say you do have a couple of impressions. I don't know, folks, I don't know how good. I haven't heard Bronner's impression. Is that, appro is that appropriate in, in, in this context? Listen, it's for the legendary Dick Vitale. Anytime you can imitate, they say imitation is the greatest form of flattery so ha have at it all right oh, he, he's a he's a prime time player baby oh, 
type of dandy that Brandon Miller. Oh, he's quite the player, baby. So that's, that, that's his Dickie B impersonation. Now, if, if, you, if you are on the app, let us know what you think about Michael Bronner's imitation of Dick Vitale. Should I, do I mean, a whole, should I do a whole show in that? It would probably be hard to do <laughs> because it would be so up and down in regards to the excitement I'm, level. I'm telling you what Kirby is building down there in Athens. Oh. <laughs> so, so Dick Vitale. It, you know, they say imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So there you have That's it. That's my guy, by the way. I, you know, I, I you know grew up watching. You know, he was he was my broadcasting hero. I love Dick Vitale, man. Iconic. I mean, he is flat out iconic. He he is the man when it comes. He, some people, you you someone in the app says it's not a bad Dickie B impersonation. So you you do have somebody that says you know whether you're spot on or not, not bad. Better, uh, I'm better than on most. It. It's definitely my best impression, I think. Uh, of all of all athletes or of all actors that did you do the best? I have to think. I, I mean, I can do a couple accents, but yeah, in terms of like direct impressions, I, I don't, I don't have many. But you know, Dick, Dickie V, you can, you can get pretty well. Well, you just, you, you, you've seen him on for so long, and he's such, he's like Hubie Brown. To me, Hubie Brown is one of the most underrated. NBA analyst that there's been and Hubie Brown has been able to to transcend and just continue to grow from the game of basketball I, I love listening to Dickie B though Dickie B is one that I'm not going to mash mute when he's on I'm going <laughs> to hear what he has to say the excitement and the passion that he does his job with and you know what basketball means to him and for there to be cancer in his throat, knowing the battles and the fighters that he was, knowing what his best friend, Jim Valvano, wanted him to do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. You you know Dickie B is going to fight it, period. Yeah, man. And, and I think that he'll find a way to go ahead and beat this too. And when basketball season rolls around, luckily he'll have a chance here these next few months to, to rest up those vocal cords going through his chemotherapy treatment and have an opportunity to, to broadcast basketball because that's what he wants to do. He received a standing ovation the first time that he did return to, to broadcast basketball after beating cancer the first time. So I don't see anything different happening this time as well for Dick Vitale. Yeah, man, you know, thoughts and thoughts and prayers to the guy, you know, if there's a, uh if there's a fighter out there, it's Dickie V, and you know, like you said, he had a obviously a very close relationship with Jim Valvano, and uh, you know, just prayers to the guy. Without question, on the other side of this break here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5, we'll talk a little bit about the best traditions in college football. The best traditions in college football. Where, where, where is your stance on that? Who does have? the best tradition in college football as we're approaching SEC Media Days. We'll be doing our show there the entire week next week, so looking forward to having great guests, bringing you plenty of SEC coverage from Nashville here on WNSP 105.5.
Hi, this is Luis Gonzalez, former South Alabama Jaguar and Major League player. You're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Thursday afternoon. Thank everyone for having us locked in. Of course, you can download the free Sound of Mobile app. And of course, it's a free download. And what's better than free? And you'll be able to correspond with us here on the final drive and correspond with the morning show as well. Always a great thing to do. We love hearing from you. 251-694-1055. And Broner, I know that, you know, you coming down to the South and attending the university of Alabama and having an opportunity to, to go to a few, few road games, the best or the most interesting traditions in SEC football. And I know that every school not necessarily has a huge tradition. Some schools have walk of champions like Alabama does. You have Dixieland Delight. Dang, you took the first one I was going to say. That get started. That's the best one. At Alabama. especially dollars on beer. But what they wind up doing is when the lights, the LED lights got transformed and changed into Bryant-Denny and they put that back in. Probably my junior year they did that. Like the first season after COVID, really, that they they brought that in. It's cool, man. It... Seeing a game at Bryant Denny under the lights these days is uh it's quite the if you haven't been in the last you know five years or whatever it's certainly worth another trip up there it's it's pretty special. Best traditions in SEC college football, of course, when you look at Auburn having an opportunity to land the Eagle, I think that the War Eagle, I think that that part of itself is amazing that that eagle knows exactly where to land and you you can have six home games and out of the six times over a course of maybe five years only one time the the eagle decides to go somewhere where it's not supposed to be which lands directly on that logo but that part of Auburn's tradition of college football that that's that's pretty good too. Now I love the fact that back in the day LSU used to bring Mike the Tiger into the stadium in his cage. Now you have to go outside to catch him in his habitat. But when Mike the Tiger used to come into Death Valley, that was a real deal too. That tradition was was something that you're like, man, there is a real live tiger in a cage right here in death valley yeah there's been a long-standing uh what i say movement mostly on like gump twitter to to uh petition greg byrne to bring in a live elephant (laughs) how how, how do we get that done Uh, you know i 
even a baby elephant, I I I think that we could make that happen. It, they it, got elephants in zoos, and uh, but you know I'm not necessarily for that. You know, <laughs> I don't know I don't know how great of a life Mike the Tiger lives. Maybe someone can correct no, me if Mike I'm wrong. No, Mike the Tiger lives the yeah. Life. Mike the Tiger lives. There's the been like life. what 25 of them. A, a lot of Mike the Tigers, <laughs> but he lives the life. Long. Now I will say this too, at, at South Carolina. When they get sandstorm struck up. Yeah, that's a good one. And I, I know that when South Carolina has the big-time wins, hey, the, the crowd, they're going to rush the field because it's something that they're not used to. But sandstorm at South Carolina is one that I really love. Now, the tradition of the Grove yeah. at Ole Miss is something that I really – I have not experienced. I was going to ask, you ever been? I have not experienced the Grove. I, I want to see, I want to see the Grove and experience what that is like because they say that that is the best tailgating experience. Now I, I've tailgated at LSU, and I think the variety of what they cook mm. is pretty interesting. But the you know the LSU fans, when I did attend, I attended in neutral colors. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I attended in neutral colors. Uh, just because you just didn't know what it was. and, and I, I was wearing a crimson Mac Jones jersey in Baton Rouge, loud and proud. I got, I heard it all day. It was bad. And, and one, someone in the app, thank you. There have been right, seven, seven mics, mics, not 25 mics. Seven thank mics. You for the clarification. And they put him at the mouth of the visiting tunnel. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was pretty interesting in, in and of itself to, to, to go ahead and, and get him to, to growl at command. But... If you're a Texas A&M fan, the oh, no. the, the midnight oh, yell. Oh my God, I hate the midnight yell. The midnight yell. Oh my God, it, talk it, about corny. Is cringy, one of those that culty. It, it's the late oh, night pep rally. Oh, man. I hate the midnight yell that, that, so that, much. That they get going and and they go rocking from left to right. Oh, rock in the fighting Texas <laughs> Aggie. Oh my God, I hate I hate the midnight yell. Well, it is the worst thing ever. I will I will say this, Bronner. Like, how does no one at Texas A and M sit there thinking like, Hey, man, like, this is kind of cringy. Like, what what are we doing here? It, like, you, you saw that I, for whatever reason there were a lot of videos surfacing this season on Twitter of the Midnight Yell every week. Uh, yeah. You know, it, you'd wait for the new Midnight Yell. But it's, like, hard to watch. That guy, you know, oh, right, hanky-panky. Oh, uh, it, it's <laughs> it's so weird, man. I, I cannot I cannot stand it, that Midnight Yell. It, it's one of those, it's one of those iconic traditions. But, you know. I didn't hate a and before, you know, watching videos of the Midnight Yell. That really made me think, like, all right, these guys, these guys suck. The, the best. SEC tradition or the grand entrance that is made either by a mascot or by the fans or or by the team itself, the midnight yell, the 12th man. I, I, I know that literally I know when Eli Gold and Chris Stewart have been broadcasting games, they'll let you know that the 12th man can make the stadium really sway. The sure. press, they say the press box is, it, 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 you can feel it shaking. That That's how loud and how vibrant those fans are. Now, one of the coolest scenes is definitely in Knoxville. The the Vol Navy when they when they roll out yeah. and you you're you're at Neyland Stadium and you see the arrival by boat by all the the orange and white fans. That that to me 
is one of the, the most iconic scenes that you can see, especially the way Keith Jackson used to lay his template out um, for college football and set the table on what Neyland Stadium used to look like as far as from an iconic river standpoint and being on the banks of the of the Tennessee River. I think that at nighttime when you're able, as the game progressive progresses and you're able to see that, Tennessee definitely has an outstanding tradition. But I don't know. The, the Grove is, is really one of those that I definitely – want to cling to and, and you got it you got to get to the grove man you to, got to you, you just got to you know I, I so i had the opportunity this past season bama played lsu and Ole miss on the road back and i'd never been to a road game at all before but uh i had back-to-back weeks i went to lsu and Ole miss and it, it, lsu was cool like i, I liked uh, didn't help that bama lost the game but that certainly left uh, left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Leaving Baton Rouge made me think like, all right, like I'm I'm ready to get out of this place. But uh, you know, Baton Rouge was, you know, he was he was a little bit hostile. They they, uh, they they I certainly heard it. You know, eight year olds calling me tiger bait and all that. It was uh, it was a good time. And then the next week at the Grove, like those truly are the nicest people on the planet. And it was it absolutely beautiful. You know they have chandeliers in the tents. It's it's also a bit much, but you know the grow the grow is pretty special. Well, chandeliers in a tent, I think that's what makes it special when you can take the time yeah. out to do that. No, it, it's and, crazy and to man. be ready. Now the swamp, the gator chomp, at, at its peak when the swamp is rocking and you have everybody yelling gator bait, and you just know that that hand clap is coming. I think the swamp, especially when they do the renovations, the seating I know has been a point of emphasis when they do this $400 million renovation, whether people will like it or not. But the hall call in Arkansas is another one that when when the calling of the hogs come, everybody, everybody knows it, and it gets to rocking. And the cowbells clanging at Mississippi State. Now, you know, I have been to Nashville and Vanderbilt. And besides the foghorn, not a whole lot going on there. Uh, not really a whole lot going on. Sean Jones reminds us, hey, look, Oklahoma Sooner Schooner will will be coming to the SEC in 2024. But as far as SEC traditions and what it means, Alabama, of course, has the walk of champions prior to it when you – have a chance to get around Denny Chimes and to see all the names and footprints in cement. I think that's a, a great college tradition of itself to where, again, all these schools, yeah, like I say, even, even Vanderbilt has one. Missouri with Truman's Taxi. And Truman's? I've never heard of Truman's yeah, Taxi. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's Missouri's Tiger mascot. That's Truman. You know, okay. I thought uh, you were talking about Vanderbilt still. No, no, no. The uh, the Missouri the Missouri Tigers have their own tiger also, and and here's one that you don't really think. What what is Kentucky's tradition in football? 
waiting for basketball season. <laughs> hey, I guess they just yell "Go Big Blue." But admittedly, you know that that joke doesn't play as well as it did five years ago. But you know, for two reasons: one, the basketball program is is in shambles, and compared to it was at what it was, and the football program is significantly better too. But that's still uh, the classic go-to. I mean, there'll always be a basketball school until unless uh, Stoops brings them an SEC East title, barring something crazy unforeseen this year. But uh, yeah, that's that's their big tradition waiting for waiting for basketball season but when when lindy davis publisher of lindy's magazine said look he doesn't want to see the sec expand again doesn't want to see them go anywhere else yeah, i got bad news for you lindy. I, I i think that the acc footprint yeah. is definitely one that the sec is going to touch and find a part of you know other other great traditions that i know a lot of people love to see is and when you the, Howard's Rock and when you run down you touch the rock and you go ahead and you run down the hill I think that part is something else to see also yeah speaking of and I was waiting on this one but another one I don't like actually yeah. uh it's also Clemson related they're uh you ever heard of the gathering at the Paul? You no, know, I, I, I have not heard about Well, the they, they go on the field after every game. They rush the field, win or loss, after every game. They they uh, they rush the field, and obviously it's kind of the severity of the field rushing kind of depends on the nature of the win or loss, mm -hmm. but uh, that's like their thing. They uh, they gather at the paw after the game. I, you know, I think it's kind of lame. Well, I, I know that Florida State, when you look at them, I like I like the tomahawk chop, Chief Osceola. Oh. When when you have a flaming spear, yeah, I like that too. Come out back in the days when Florida and Florida State or Florida State and Miami would play one another, and you're riding a horse and you come out and and you have a flaming spear and you spike it right there at midfield. That kind of tradition you absolutely love, as far as college football being iconic and and it was funny sean it says in the app again about the sooner schooner it went when that sucker tipped over coming into the field i think that that was one when colorado brings in their buffalo yep. and and running it's kind of like the running of the bulls that you survived mike and were able to come back here to mobile safely to and from i'm sitting here across the glass aren't i it, it, the the running of Colorado's mascot, a buffalo. I know that can be pretty pretty scary too, for those who are, are running out of buffalo. But what is, what is the greatest college football tradition? I like if, Bevo at Texas. Bevo Bevo just he doesn't do a lot. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have to. He's a giant like <laughs> yeah. uh, steer. He doesn't have Bevo, to do. He doesn't have to do a lot. He's Bevo. Bevo. Just chilling, man. I, I like. That's so he's 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 chill. I like him. He, he's definitely. He, he is I want to get a beer with Bevo. Bevo's all right with me. He just he just doesn't doesn't have a lot in and Ugga. I, I think when no, you I don't look like at, I don't like Ugga. Ugga Ugga is in the air conditioning. No matter whether it's ninety five degrees on the field or whatever it is Ugga. You're, uh, Ugga's Ugga's in pretty good shape. Ugga lives a great life too. If you were gonna uh, rank mascots that you'd want to get a beer with, Bevo would be way higher than Ugga. Mike the Tiger would be up there too, but. You know, I uh, Uga would be a would be a uh, a bummer. Be Bevo though, Bevo would be a good time. You know, 
War Eagle, you're absolutely right. The the flying in of War Eagle is one of those iconic all time. And, and like I say, if you have six home games, War Eagle is going to hit that AU perfectly. I've only seen it go astray like one time. I, I've seen War Eagle go and, and and do what it needed to 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 do, even at the high school games. Before all seven high school games, they have War Eagle to come out when the high school championships are held at Jordan Hare. I think that that's fun. The jump around at Camp Randall, that is one of the best in the country. The wave that they have started at Iowa. To oh, that's a the, good one. The patients yeah, in the hospital. To me, from a meaningful standpoint, from outside of what football and how football can relate to people in need that that's one of the, the the best all fans turn around all players coaches they salute those children who are in the hospital overlooking the field at Iowa for the Hawkeyes to me that that's one of the best newest traditions that has been started in college football because it's so meaningful for all those patients to know that you have 70 or 80,000 people that are pulling for you and and rooting for you. Uh, that, that To me, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that one. I, I absolutely love that one. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 will continue. And don't forget, 5 o'clock, we'll have our Tide and Tiger report here on this Tide and Tiger Thursday. And continue to bring those in the app. What is the best college tradition that exists football wise for sure we're talking college football what is the best college football tradition whether it be a mascot entering exiting whether it's the fans whether it's the players pre-game before after the game what is the best college football tradition let us know hit us up in the app as well as give us a call 251-694-1055 Hi, this is Juan Sierra, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB player, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Tide and Tiger Thursday afternoon. Of course, coming up at 5 o'clock, we do have... The Tide and Tiger Report will have Rodney Orr talking all about the Alabama Crimson Tide. Brian Matthews will have us covered from an Auburn Tigers standpoint. And one of the best traditions, whether it be pregame, postgame, during the game, in college football, what is it? I, I think that the dotting of the I at Ohio State exactly is one of those that if you're a Big Ten fan, you absolutely love that. And I think that, that that's pretty cool to see when you see Ohio State's band. Now, Penn State takes their whiteout games pretty seriously, Bronner. Anytime you're able to have almost 100,000 people dressed in all white, that just ask Auburn a couple of years ago how intimidating that that could be. 
Yeah, Penn State. I think they're playing like Minnesota this year for it because they've been losing whiteout games lately. So, uh, you know, a little bit soft on Penn State's part. but <laughs> Well, you know, I, I love the fact that also you look at what Drew Brees was able to experience in, in striking up that, that big drum. The big drum is is pretty cool that Purdue has, uh, oversized wise. Then you know you, you just wait for 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 it to tip over for somebody to run through it. But it, it's it's claimed to be the world's largest drum, and I think that that part is pretty good too. Um, any other greatest moments or when you look at iconic pregame rituals? You know, Michigan comes in and they tap that daggum big blue banner. And, you know, they, they, they're expecting victory there at Michigan. I, I like to see that as well. You know, someone says, you know, jump around. Yeah, that that's that's a good one that Wisconsin does have at Camp Randall. Uh, they get that started up. House of Pain. Jump around is one of those to where if you've definitely had a beverage or two, then that part is is what you definitely love to see the the fans and the student body get into. But the the twelfth man, the swaying of the twelfth man, I know we 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 know that <laughs> Michael, you 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 you're not too fond of that midnight. I don't yet. care about the swaying of the 12th, but like what I also kind of lame, but I, I just, <laughs> the, the midnight, I, I didn't really ever have anything against A&M. It's, it's similar to Arkansas and I, I, Arkansas football's, you know, they're fine. I love Sam Pittman. Like Sam Pittman's the man. You, you ask him what he's going to do after the game. He says, Oh, I'm going to have me a cold beer. Like I, I love Sam Pittman, but you know, Musselman in the basketball program has, has really, upped my my level of Arkansas slander in the last two years or so just be uh, I can't I can't stand them but uh A&M that, that's kind of that's kind of what's made what's done it for me now, now here's what I love I love the fact when you do have a couple of traditions from a, a sound standpoint Virginia Tech Travis does say you're right enter the Sandman when you have the enter the Sandman yeah, at Virginia Tech and when you have Sandman that plays at South Carolina, Virginia Tech entering that stadium is pretty, pretty. It becomes deafening, especially when Virginia Tech was relevant, and they they walk into that stadium. They they had their fair share under Beamer of some big time ball games with that inner Sandman, even in national championships. You were waiting for that inner Sandman because that that sometimes takes the juice to another level. And I know my partner, who's listening, Daryl, says, you know, when South Carolina scores that daggum Gamecock, when it goes <laughs> to to crowing, that that one's pretty interesting too. That there are great traditions yeah. in in college football. Underrated one for uh, for Bama. I, I like I, for as long as I can remember, they've they've come out to thunderstruck when they come out of the tunnel i mean and it doesn't hit the same for an 11 a.m you know austin p game but you know when it's a night game and you know there's actually there's it's full stadium and it's loud in there Ooh, thunder thunderstruck get the people going i i, I will say this <laughs> and it, it, it dixie dixie land delight 
You mentioned it moments ago. That's the best, man. Well, now, you're you're right. Better. Dixieland Delight, with the addition of the LEDs now Do in Bryant Denny Stadium, in the bleachers. It, it is pretty good. It is, it is pretty stuff. good stuff. And I, I like that when you look at from a college football standpoint, the traditions, again, whether it be pregame and your walk of champions or something that you do prior to the game starting to where it's your mascot leading you out on the field or it's your mascot or your band. Because I know a lot of, again, the Ohio State dotting of the eye, whether it's done in pregame or their iconic halftime shows. I love to see Ohio State's band perform on YouTube after their games are over to see what 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 they're going to wind up doing. Th those are pretty good. Someone put Colin Baton Rouge has become pretty good. You know, the, the Garth Brooks song. <laughs> I, I, I'll say this because I heard that damn song probably 70 times in the 24 <laughs> hours I was in Baton Rouge. I, you know, I, I, I said to, to my buddies on, on the way out, and it is after Bama loss, like, man, like, as much as I hate LSU, and as much as that loss sucked, <laughs> that song's pretty damn good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, a good it's objectively, like, a, just a pretty good song. I, I have yet to, 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 to have attended – uh, a swag game to where the halftime show has not been off the chain because when when a lot of these games that you see, especially from a swag standpoint, when the other team's not that good, you'll stick around to see the halftime show, and then you'll leave. So those traditions that bands can create outside of the fans, and not only the fans making an environment into what it is, but certain songs, certain dances. I know when you hear LSU's neck coming out of Baton Rouge, oh, or when you hear Southern play objectively, that. Uh, you know, we can't say the chant, but uh, <laughs> objectively, I'm a big fan of that one too. Yeah. I, 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 there, there's a lot of great traditions in college football. Again, pregame, during the game, postgame, that, that are, are, are second to none. And, Again, hit us up in the app. What is the best college football tradition or one that you love to see each and every year? We'll find out what day it is coming up next, and we'll put the finishing touches on the first two hours of the final drive before we shift gears into the Tide and Tiger Report. This is George Pada, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNFP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And we've been talking today about the best traditions in college football. And, of course, I mentioned the War Eagle landing. That, that gives you the goosebumps to see and to witness, especially once it does hit that AU logo. Chuck gave me a good one just now, too, that we forgot about. Burn, the burning couches in Morgantown, West Virginia. Man, come on. Yeah, it, it, that, that is pretty good. That's a great one. We, we've kind of piled on the midnight yell. Nobody's really a fan of the no midnight one, yell. No one likes it. I mean, if you're not on. on the other side of the glass as a Bama fan, dog in the midnight yell, like, 
No one likes the Midnight Yell. I don't know why. I guarantee you there are A&M students who think the Midnight Yell is cringy. It's not cool. And, it, and it needs to be done away with. In, in the last, we, we definitely will get quickly to, to what day it is because I definitely, there's only one or two things that I can touch on. Michael, what day is it? What day is it, Mike? Listen, guess what today is? <laughs> what day is it? Mike, what do we it's got? It's National Beans and Franks Day, brother. Beans and Beans Franks, and Franks. Day. Coach Saban, they know about that today. Oh, yeah. The Beans and Franks Day. It's National Beans and Franks Day. National Barbershop Music Appreciation Day. You can barbershop really appreciate a good barbershop quartet there oh, going yeah. on. And it's International Rock Day. You, 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 do you have any international rocks that you collect rock there? day over yeah. here i got no i don't have any rocks that i collect but i'll go <laughs> find one later i got over here is international beef tallow day okay you ever cook with beef tallow no i i can't say i've had the now, privilege now let me put you on you need to start cooking and this is not just you this is to everyone listening you need to start get rid of your canola oil your vegetable oil you need to start cooking with beef tallow it's better it's better for you it's good. You can use it on your skin, too. You can use it for candles. Beef tallow. <laughs> it, it's, I'm telling you, man, you won't go back once you start cooking with beef tallow. All right. Well, you mentioned it. You've sold it. I'll definitely have I'd to put that out there to try it. And we want to thank everyone for getting ready for us to present you the Tide and Tiger Report coming up next here within the next hour. We'll have you covered everything Alabama and Auburn. Quentin Williams getting paid. We'll talk about the former Alabama player getting the bag secured in Alabama with another four-star offensive lineman. We'll talk about that as well. Our number three of the final drive, the Tide and Tiger Report, coming up next here on WNSP 105.5. The Tide and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker and Dr. Chris Walton of Premier Medical Eye Group. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app, here are Corey and Michael. Welcome to our number three of the final drive. And, of course, that incorporates the Tide and Tiger Report. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. And, of course, if you have not done so, please download the free Sound of Mobile app. That's right. It's free to any Android or Apple device you may have. And you can pick the sister of stations that are along here with WNSP 105.5. If you would like to interact with any of the stations, you can do so. But it's a free downloadable app, the Sound of Mobile app. And, of course, you can give us a call at 251-694-1055. We would love to hear from you. And in this Tide edition of the Tide and Tiger Report, wanted to talk to the founder of the TiderInsider.com. Rodney Orr joins us this evening on the final drive. Rodney, how's it going, my friend? 
It is going really well. How are you? Absolutely too blessed to be stressed. I appreciate you for asking. <laughs> and I tell you, you know, we're we're less than three or four days away from starting up SEC Media Days. As a matter of fact, six days away from Alabama taking the podium. Nick Saban giving us a preview of the 23 season along with three players that he handpicked to represent the University of Alabama. I know you have to be excited knowing that we're even closer to Alabama football when SEC Media Days approaches. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's really the unofficial kickoff, I guess, of the season, the way it is. And, you know, before you know it, it's uh, it's it's there. And then all of a sudden you're, you're in August, early August, and you've got camp going, a lot of questions about this team. And, you know, before you know it, the kickoff will be here for the opener September the 2nd against Middle Tennessee. And, you know, you'll be off and running. Yeah, off and running is how Alabama wants to get started against Middle Tennessee. And then they go ahead and they have that opponent, somebody called Texas, comes to T-Town. So, you know, I don't really know what we're going to learn against Middle Tennessee besides the fact that hopefully we'll see at least three, maybe even four quarterbacks playing because that means Alabama has absolutely routed Middle Tennessee. But the fact that Nick Saban has five quarterbacks on the roster, Rodney. I know you've covered the tide a long time. That's something I never really thought I would see. Yeah, this day and time, I mean, especially when you have five quality guys. I mean, obviously they have three uh, that are kind of the, the – they're not even really veterans. They don't have a lot of experience, but they're they're upperclassmen, if you will. I mean, you've got, you know, obviously Jalen Milrow, uh, who's a rising uh, redshirt sophomore. You've got Ty Simpson, a redshirt freshman. Uh, the, both those guys played some last year. You know the Milrose story started against A&M. And then you've got Tyler Buckner, who transferred in from Notre Dame, started a few games there, was MVP of the bowl game, of course, for Notre Dame before transferring in. And then you've got the two young players, the two young quarterbacks, true freshman Dylan Lonergan and, of course, Eli Holstein. So, yeah, you have five. You know, I mean, ideally, uh, coaches would love to have at least four. You know, five's great. Uh, but this day and time, the way that with the portal, I mean, it's it's hard to keep two or three on uh, your roster, much less five. But right now, the way Alabama enters the season, they've got five. And it's going to be really interesting come August camp to see how these reps are divvied up, you know, amongst those quarterbacks. Because we'll get a real good idea, I think, probably within the first two weeks of, okay, who's getting the most reps? Is it going to be Milrow and Buckner? Is it going to be Buckner and Ty? I mean, you're not going to be able to rep all three uh, throughout uh, August camp because you're just not going to be able to get them all ready. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing that you really look at. Somebody's going to be unhappy, but it's part of the process to where if you're an incoming freshman or you have eligibility sitting behind someone, I know they all know Julian Sayan is coming in next year and the writing's on the wall there to where all of them can't play at one position at the same time. But Nick Saban, next week at SEC Media Days, outside of the quarterback scenario, what do you think will be the question that is asked the most of him? Mm. No, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, when you have a new offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, you know, Tommy Reese on the offensive side, Kevin Steele on the defensive side, you know that's going to be a topic. You know, he's going to, the people are going to want to talk about that, maybe what those guys are going to bring, you know, how maybe Reese will run the offense differently in terms of, you know, the balance of it, 
all of those things. Because after all, I think this is a, clearly Nick Saban's offense. They have a, a plan. Uh, they're going to probably change that up a little bit because the personnel is a little bit different. Uh, you know, in terms of you don't have Bryce Young at quarterback. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit different offensively. I think they're going to get back to what we've talked about, more balance, uh, running the football. They want to be run with power, you know, uh, dominate the line of scrimmage up front. And, you know, defensively, I think Kevin Steele, I could already kind of see in A-Day some of the impact that he made. I thought they played a lot faster because I think he's simplifying some things uh, defensively in terms of the calls that they make, the calls that they have. Players can go out and play faster. They don't have to think as much in the communication part of it. So I think that's really going to be something that's going to be helpful, uh, you know, to this defense. So I think he'll probably get a lot of questions about, you know, maybe the differences and what they're going to do and, you know, the new coordinators. Speaking of Rodney Orr, tighter insider. Speaking of Tommy Reese, Rodney, with the Pat Fitzgerald story this week, and not that it's a legitimate rumor, but I think people have been posing the question on Twitter as to whether after this season if Tommy Reese could be a legitimate candidate for the Northwestern job. What are your thoughts on that? I suppose if he was, it would at least mean Alabama had a pretty dang good offense this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just such so many variables there. I really don't even know what Northwestern's thinking in terms of their future, their you know, for their program. And, you know, who, who really knows? I mean, I don't think that they're necessarily going to start a, a search until maybe later, October, November, maybe start. I mean, I'm sure they're probably writing down names that they want to, you know, keep an eye on. Uh, who knows? You've seen this the way this works. You, put, you hire an interim coach. If he has a great year, maybe he's the guy. Uh, you just really never know. I mean, I think all this speculation about Tommy Reese right now is is just like way, 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 way premature. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's a ways off, and we'll, we'll see. I mean, eventually, you know, if Reese does a great job this year, maybe next year, I'm, I'm sure he's going to be a real hot commodity. Yeah, I, I said it yesterday, and really even on Monday, it's kind of putting the, the cart before the horse without even seeing any production from this 2023 Alabama Crimson Tide. And it's probably going to be a question that I wouldn't be surprised if it's not asked at Media Day. I would be shocked uh, on next Wednesday by Nick Saban. But Nick Saban, we had Ryan Williams in here, the 2025 verbal commit to Alabama. Even though he has a couple of years, he is really, really one of the biggest recruiters for the Crimson Tide. And, of course, yesterday, Alabama gets a four-star offensive lineman in Casey Poe, the 13th commitment for this 24 Crimson Tide class coming out of Texas, 6'4", 290. Nick Saban just continues to find a way to not only lock up his state, but to to dibble and dabble in other states and get some of the best there also. Yeah, and not just states. He's going across country, to, uh, across the world to Europe, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, you know, he got a kid from Finland last year, Olaf Lennon, offensive lineman. Now he goes to to Germany and gets uh, Justin Okronkro. Uh, I'm not sure if that's how he pronounces that last name. I mean, it's 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 a real tongue twister. I just call him Justin O, the <laughs> linebacker that committed over the weekend. But you're right about Casey Poe from Lindale, Texas, that committed yesterday, uh, one of the top interior, maybe regarded by some as a top interior offensive lineman across the nation in the 2024 class. You know, we'll see. Uh, that's all subjective. But he's a he's certainly a really good, high-quality player. I think he has all the right 
kind of stuff, if you will, you know, in terms of the physical gifts. And, and also I think he's got it between the years. That's always really important because you, you want to get the good fit, the right fit for your program. And, and I think Casey Poe has all of those things. Not only that, as far as from an Alabama Crimson Tide standpoint, you look at the other commitments, whether it's 24, 25, 26, it's just something about the aura of Nick Saban being able to show his personal side on these official visits to these recruits. And I was talking to Ryan yesterday about what kind of separates Nick Saban when you see him doing virtual reality games and sitting and doing the Cupid Shuffle and the bus stop and these line dances, him and Miss Terry both. That's an element that normally you don't get a chance to see. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've never seen it, uh, only on Twitter. Uh, but, uh, no, you're right. I mean, I think, it, you know, he, when it comes to recruiting, he's, he's as they say, as, as uh, you know, I had someone tell me that uh, very close to the recruiting process of, of a kid who, who committed to Alabama, he said, you know, Coach Saban is the star recruiter. I mean, he's the guy. You know, he knows how to do it. He's, he's the best. He's the creme de la creme. And he said, when Nick Saban calls you four or five times in a month, how do you think you feel as a 17-year-old kid, you know, when Nick Saban calls you personally four or five times a month to recruit you to the University of Alabama? He said it's kind of mind-blowing. He says it's very difficult, obviously, for a young man to, to turn down uh, Nick Saban when he's really in pursuit. Rodney, of course, we talked about Julian saying a little bit before, but someone's got to play quarterback this fall, and it is going to continue to be the main topic of discussion as we move through the summer and into the fall. What are your thoughts on how things currently stand? I mean, it seems like maybe Milrow is starting to separate himself to be the guy, but at the same time, no one really knows. No, I don't. To be honest with you, I don't know how anybody's separating at this point. I mean, there's... I, I mean, I know he went to Tampa or somewhere down there in Florida with some of the receivers and through, but, uh, you know, what? I, I was on another radio show earlier today, and they're like, hey, you know, word is that Ty Simpson's separating himself, the things he's doing this summer, and I'm like, they're all doing these things. They're all working. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's very difficult. Until we get into August camp and start seeing how they respond, I mean, it's, you know, it's really difficult to make a, any kind of prediction. You know, if you pushed me, and you said, okay, you got to make a – Nick Saban did not bring in Tyler Buckner for no reason. I mean, he brought in Tyler Buckner, and he said it at the draft. He said, I wanted to give our two guys – and he didn't say two, but you knew he was referring to two, Simpson and, and Milrow. He said, I wanted to give them a fair chance. What he didn't say was the second part of the sentence, and he said, and they didn't win the job. They didn't do it. They didn't prove to me that they're going to be the guy. So I had to go to Notre Dame and get another quarterback who Tommy Reese, by the way, recruited. Uh, Brian Kelly recruited there with Tommy Reese. They think very highly of him. This is a guy, clearly Tommy Reese wanted him. Clearly Tommy Reese told Nick Saban, hey, this is a guy we need to go get. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I think Tyler Buckner's got a great shot to win the job. Now here's the deal. It goes back to what I just said. He's got to go out in August and take the job. Uh, I think there's some expectation that maybe Buckner could be the guy. But, again, he's got to go out and take the job, and that remains to be seen. Obviously, Ty Simpson, we haven't seen him in any meaningful game action. The meaningful game action we've seen Jalen Milrow in, for the most part, was not good. But Tyler Buckner, 
I mean, you can kind of say the same thing about it. he has more career interceptions yeah. than he does touchdowns. I just wh- I, and I agree with you that Nick Saban didn't bring him in for no reason. But wh- what is it about Tyler Buckner that like why 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 is he in Tommy Reese's eyes better than what was currently there? I never understood it. Well, I mean, you know, again, Tommy Reese, uh, and, and I don't, I can't answer your question, but it's obvious that Tommy Reese has coached. Bill Rowe and Simpson for a little while, 15 practices. He's coached Buckner a little bit more. He recruited him in high school, so he has a really good feel for him. And, you know, a lot of things happen. I think when, you know, again, and I'll go back to kind of what you said about Milrow in the Texas A&M game. Look, I'm telling you, it, it's a tough – everybody evaluates people by perfection when it comes to Alabama. In other words, Jalen Milrow, poor guy, he's compared to Bryce Young. You know, not everybody's Bryce Young. People develop over time. You know, they improve over time. Some people are ahead of – have a you know, Bryce Young's obviously way ahead of everyone else when he came in. Matt Jones did not really kind of get over the curve until later in his career. Now, he had good guys in front of him, obviously. But, you know, it's, it's a developmental process. And, and it all depends on where you are. You know, Milrow, he shows some signs. I mean, he's an incredible athlete. He's extremely gifted. Now, it's just a consistency as a passer. He has to develop, protect the football. I think when you look at Ty Simpson, I think Ty has every tool you could want. I just think, is he ready? Is he mature? Not necessarily as a person I'm talking about, but as a quarterback to be able to go in and be the quarterback for Alabama, manage the game, do all the things. You can have all the tools, but, I mean, if you're just, you know, you're just not there maturity-wise as a player in terms of your development, then, you know, it makes it difficult. You ask me about Buckner. I mean, Buckner's in, he's a really gifted kid. I mean, he's, a, again, athletically very impressive. He's got a real strong arm. He's got a lot of tools. Uh, and I'd say the same thing about the other guys, just like I said. But, you know, I think Buckner, one thing I do – think about Buckner is this. I think he has a level of maturity uh, that maybe puts him in a position uh, to be uh, really competitive for this job. You know, I, I really think he's a guy that can handle the job uh, as a quarterback at Alabama fairly soon. So, look, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I'm just kind of saying that if you ask me right now to say, if you told me, hey, you got to put – all your money on one of those guys, I'd probably say, okay, well, then I'm going to probably put it on Buckner. But, you know, it, it, it would be a dangerous bet. But at the same time, uh, I mean, I kind of favor Buckner as you start to head into camp. Well, no matter who is under center, I, I think most Alabama – and it's on a scale because the I'm talking about the receiver group last year. I think the comparison to the five years prior is not even fair because Alabama got used to such a ridiculous standard. But And, you know, the group underwhelmed as a whole last year, but the talent was there, just maybe not Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith talent. So, I mean, the best way to improve is to improve the talent you already have. What do you expect – and adding Malik Benson should help as well, but what do you expect of the receiver group no matter who is under center this fall? Yeah, I mean, I thought really that some of those guys started improving. You saw that in the Kansas State game. Kobe Prentice got involved. Kendrick Law got involved late in the season. He, you could see where if he hadn't been injured, he would have probably been more productive throughout last year. Isaiah Bonds got a lot of tools. I mean, then you've got some veterans. Corey Brooks, who I think, is a really solid player. Jermaine Burton could be 
could be a good player. I mean, I, I kind of likened him a little bit when he got here to kind of like a Johnson Mitch type. And, uh, you know, again, I mean, it's, it's, Burton's got to really mature, I think, to, you know, make sure he does all the little things correctly. Uh, you know, they got some other guys. I mentioned Kendrick Law and, um, you know, Kobe Prentice, those guys. But, no, I mean, Malik Benson, he's a real talented kid. Uh, I know there's been a lot of buzz. I mean, I've talked to people behind the scenes there uh, about him from the moment he got here right before the bowl game. And there's, they've been buzzing about him since he got here. But again, you know, you got to go out on the field and prove it. Let's see it. Uh, but I think there's there, like you said, I think there's a lot of potential there. There may not be a Devontae Smith, obviously, or Jerry Judy or Ruggs or Waddle, but I, I think they should. I think they should be a good core. I really do. Well, anytime you're able to have Kool Aid McKinstry return to the secondary and teach young Caleb Downs. Caleb Downs is a player that I know he's going to look up to Kool Aid because Kool Aid is that veteran guy returning to that Alabama secondary. The, the the expectations for Caleb Downs early enrollee and learning from Kool-Aid, I think this secondary for Alabama has a lot to prove, especially with Kevin Steele in his first year as defensive coordinator coming back to the capstone. The way that this secondary disappointed at times, I think that Downs and McKintree can have a lot to do with that in changing the narrative. No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, I thought they looked a lot better to me in, in the 8A game. I thought they were playing with a lot more confidence. I thought they were playing you know, with some aggressiveness, some speed. Uh, I, I liked what I saw. Again, I, we're going we're gonna to see a lot more once the season gets going. But uh, I think Terry and Arnold's a real competitor at, at one of the corner spots. I think he's probably going to nail that job down alongside McKinstry. And I really love uh, Earl Little. At the star position, or a little junior, you know, he had the interception in the uh, in the eight A game, made a magnificent play, it was great effort, and I think that's another thing we saw from the secondary and in the defense as a whole was just the effort. Uh, I, I think that's Kevin Steele. I think that's the Kevin Steele influence, uh, playing with a lot of effort, playing with a lot of uh, confidence. Uh, I, I saw that. I just you could see the body language was different. Again, I, I, I want to be careful. Let's get to the season and kind of see how much improvement they make. It's going to be that's that's going to be the real judge. But I think you know, just preliminary watching it, knowing and knowing Kevin Steele's history, uh, I, I'm, I've got some uh, I got some good vibes about maybe how this defense is going to progress. Well, I tell you, Nate Oates in switching gears has continued to progress this Alabama basketball program, doing so for a little while without three assistant coaches and and having Javon Quinterly leave late, but he's really been able to to bolster his front court and his back court to make Alabama possibly a contender again to to not finish last and you know sometimes when you go from first to worst it's because of the the loss of of players that you've had but what a great job Nate Oates is doing recircling the wagons and getting him a solid staff and a solid roster intact you know it was about a month ago or whatever it was six weeks ago when Betty Ako just said you know it became clear he wasn't gonna going to come back everybody was like I mean naturally I think all of us were saying wow you know what is he gonna do and he goes out and he gets what three big guys 610 plus Grant Nelson of course and you know a couple other guys Jaron Stevenson the recruit that he got out of North Carolina that reclassified so yeah I mean he's kind of replenished uh you know the and again I say replenished I, 
we'll have to see how the chemistry is and how they all play together and all these things as they develop as a team. But I, I know he had to – what a battle. I mean, but you have to go manage your roster the way – I don't know how they do it. I mean, I really don't. He's got, what, eight new faces already from, you know, new faces on this team. Uh, man, it, it, it's tough. It's tough. And you, you, Quinterly leaves kind of at the last second, you know, late. Uh, that would kind of put you in a little bit of a jam, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't even know if he's made a decision on where he's going. Last I heard he was at Memphis, and then I don't think he's made a decision yet, to my knowledge. Uh, so, yeah, but I thought I think Nate Oates, he had to replace his staff. Uh, so he did a fantastic job with the, a lot of those obstacles. Rodney, last question for you here before we wrap you up. The Major League Baseball draft concluded, and six Alabama players on this past season's roster went in the 20-round draft. That's the most since 2016 for Alabama baseball. So even though they had the controversy and the firing of Coach Bohannon almost in the toward the latter part of the year, kudos to Alabama baseball for continuing to improve even with the new head coach. It was incredible. It really was because I think there was a lot of people and, you know, myself included that really wondered, you know, where's this program going to go now? I mean, when, when, when all this transpired with Brad Bohannon, you're thinking this, this team's going to collapse. I mean, it's going to be a joke down the stretch. Uh, but it was just the opposite. They responded incredibly well. The coaches that stepped in did an incredible job, you know, to hold them together. They they finished really strong and, you know, advanced on to the, you know, the, the, the regionals they had here and, uh, you know, did a lot of really good things. I mean, it was – and they won that regional here. And so it was uh, – you know, it's a great year, especially when you consider the circumstances. A uh, phenomenal year, and, you know, with Coach Vaughn coming in, and, you know, it's going to be interesting. He's got a chore. He's got a lot of guys to replace, you know. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see see what he can do. But I think there's a lot of excitement because he's had some success, you know, at Maryland, uh, you know, winning them some titles up there in the Big Ten. And uh, so keep an eye on Bama baseball. We'll see what happens. Rodney Orr, founder of TiterInsider.com, joining us this afternoon on the final drive, Tide and Tiger Report. Rodney, if people want to follow all your tremendous coverage, especially as we lead in to SEC Media Days next week in Nashville, how can people do so? Right. Well, it's TiterInsider.com. It's only $48 a year. And you can get instant access with your credit card if you prefer. There is an address there to send a check, and it gives you all our premium stuff. But also our all-sports forum, which is our community of Alabama fans. A lot of discussion there, nonstop. You know, we're going to have some recruiting stuff coming up, some more commitments. And as you mentioned, as you mentioned, SEC Media Days will be here, and we'll have complete coverage of that as well. Rodney, look forward to seeing you next week in Nashville. God bless you. Be safe and roll tide. Okay, thank you. Take care. Rodney Orr, founder of Tighter Insider, joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, we will definitely have Brian Matthews to have the Auburn Tigers covered here on the Tide and Tiger Report on WNSP 105.5. My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. 
Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Thursday edition of the Final Drive Tide and Tiger Report. And a lot of things going on, great things going on on the Plains in Auburn. And, you know, since 2001, the one and only Brian Matthews has been covering this Auburn program, of course, Brian Matthews writing for AuburnRivals.com. Brian, how's it going this afternoon, my friend? Oh, it's going great. Thanks for having me on. And, yeah, 2001 is uh, a lot longer ago than uh, I'd like to admit. <laughs> That's all right. I, I know my best friend, he, he hooped for Auburn back on that 2001 team, Mac McGadney. So I, I, I definitely am very oh, yeah. familiar when you started covering the Auburn Tigers program. But as far as this past week is concerned, when you look at the hype and excitement that's been generated by Hugh Freeze, of course, there's sellouts at Jordan-Hare Stadium. And I know War Eagle loves the fact when there's sellouts for certain. Yeah, that's big. Um, you know, I think it's the first time ever uh, they sold out. The first time in a long time they sold out all the season tickets uh, for this season in football. You know, you can look at baseball. They've uh, set records two straight years as far as season ticket sales and attendance. And now they're expanding that stadium and adding a bunch of uh, premium seating. And, of course, basketball. You know, I, you have to say that um, Neville Arena is one of the best home court advantages in, in the SEC and maybe the country. So the support is certainly there for Auburn in football and every sport. And, and certainly um, I think you phrase has brought in a lot of uh, excitement. He overturned about 50% of the roster, had to do it, right? And, and you feel like Auburn is at least to the point where they're going to be a competitive team this fall. Well, being competitive is what's important for Hugh Freeze and of course, next Tuesday, SEC Media Days is where Auburn will be in Nashville. Tight end, Luke Deal, defensive lineman, Elijah McAllister, and offensive lineman, Cam Stutz. All selected by Hugh Freeze. All seniors there for Auburn in his first time at the podium at SEC Media Days as the head coach of Auburn. Hugh Freeze, any surprise of who he selected there? Maybe a little bit because there's not a lot of star power in that group. But I think, um, you know, Freeze being a first-year coach, he went with leadership. He went with three players that really bought into his, his new staff and his system. You know, and he's just going uh, with guys that he can trust, that he knows are going to represent Auburn well. And I think those three guys will do a great job there. And um, so, uh, you know, I'm not sure any of those three guys will be starting. You know, obviously Luke Deal is going to play a lot of football. He's already played a lot of football for Auburn. Uh, but, you know, there's going to be three tight ends, basically rotate three or four rotating in there. Um, Cameron Stutz is in a battle with four, at least four other offensive guards in two starting spots. So uh, that's going to be a great competition uh, during fall camp. And Elijah McAllister, um, the Vanderbilt transfer, one of the best human beings you're going to meet, already very involved in Auburn's community, working on his doctorate. You know, this is a young man that's going to be going places in the coming years and decades for sure. Brian, outside of Peyton Thorne, obviously Hugh Freeze brought in whatever the number is up to now, 23-plus transfers. So outside of Peyton Thorne, who likely will be the biggest impact player out of the portal, who, who do you see as one guy either on offense or defense who's going to have the biggest impact this fall? 
I would say Dylan Wade at left tackle, uh, the change from Tulsa, has a chance to be a good player for Auburn and may develop into a pretty good SEC player, too. And I think he's you know got a chance to be Auburn's left tackle for two years. Uh, so that would be big. Um, and, and I think the offensive line is probably the most improved unit from last year to this year. I don't think they had a functional offensive lineman on November 28th, offensive line on November 28th when you freeze the call was uh, hired. And uh, now I think they do. I think they're um, – I think they've done a good job improving that area. You know, Auburn uh, signed four transfer receivers. You know, I think a guy like um, Dare Shorter, who led football uh, and average uh, yards per catch, has a chance to help out Auburn if he can stay healthy, you know, and make that transition. I think he could be an impact receiver for Auburn, but we'll see. Still some question marks there. Um, Looking on the other side of the ball, I think um, both of Auburn's linebackers are going to be – Guys, they got in the transfer uh, portal. Uh, Larry Nixon, uh, I think I'll be Auburn's starting wheel linebacker, and the kid they got from Ole Miss, his name escapes me at the moment. Uh, I think it's probably going to be Auburn's starting Mike linebacker. And, uh, you know, I think those three defensive linemen that um, they got into uh, are certainly going to be either starting or um, a big part of that uh, playing rotation. You know, all teams try to find, find that alpha dog, and, and – unfortunate for Auburn the last couple of years, you normally want that quarterback to be that alpha dog in some way, shape, form, or fashion. If you're an Auburn Tiger fan, who's going to be that lead dog, either offensively, defensively, somebody that's going to step up and really take the reins of this Auburn Tiger team? Well, I actually think Peyton Thorne could be that guy. He's got to win the job in fall camp. But he's a guy that just oozes his leadership uh, right out of the gate. I've already heard good things about him, uh, you know, being in Auburn for a couple of months now or maybe not even a couple of months yet. But uh, and certainly he's a guy that uh, runs the type of system that you see that uh, his coaches want to run here. I think Jarquez Hunter uh, can be that guy, you know, uh, as long as he's, you know, cleared and ready to go. He can certainly be Auburn's best offensive weapon and a really talented player in the SEC. Um, defensively, you know, we'll see. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure anybody out there is necessarily a, a dog. I know that, uh, you know, the secondary's got some really good and experienced players, for sure. Uh, but you know, in that front seven, they got there's a lot of guys that got the, got something to prove. I guess you could say Marcus Harris, who's a senior, uh, who has played a lot of football for Auburn over the last couple of years, stretch from Kansas. Maybe I pick him as a dog now, but uh, still a lot to prove on that side of the ball. Well, you mentioned at the beginning of our interview, as far as from a university standpoint, the growth, the the productivity of the different sports and the venues that are are filling up. And that, I think, has a lot to do with athletic director John Cohen and him being in his eighth month now as an Auburn Tiger. Yep athletic director and especially getting ready to start football it's cited with his hire in Hugh Freeze I know that a lot of the success and the excitement of all the athletic programs at Auburn and the continued growth is due to the new athletic director oh I think you're right and uh, I know alignment is kind of a buzzword now in, in college athletics but I think Auburn has alignment between the new president Dr. Roberts uh, John Cohen, uh, the coaches on the staff, I think they have the best alignment from that group uh, since I've covered Auburn. Uh, I think they're all on the same page. I think they're working together, not against each other. And uh, I think that's going to be good for Auburn in the future. I think that's going to allow them 
to, to take some steps forward and start competing for more championships, not just in football, but in other sports too. Yeah, it's always great uh, to be a national champion, even if it is, I don't care if it is equestrian, to be a national champion is something, is to be a national champion exactly that. When you have all the different sports or all the different university and teams that compete, but when you look at from a recruiting standpoint in any sport, especially right here in football, Malik Blockton comes in and he stays in the backyard. Also, linebacker Joseph Phillips from Booker T. Washington and running back Jamarian Burnett. These are huge additions to Hugh Freeze's staff. And my favorite recruit of Hugh Freeze so far, I'm going to be a Mobile, Alabama homer, but it's Bryce Kane. And the story yeah. that he has only in his second competitive year of football ever in his life. That's right. And uh, I got to see Bryce Kane in person at Auburn's camp earlier this summer. And I thought he was uh, amazing. He's not the biggest kid in the world, but he can flat out fly. Uh, I think he ran a couple of sub 4440s um, at, uh, at Auburn's camp, at Ole Miss camp. And he's really competitive. He, he really goes up there and, and battles for that ball, has great hands, and just great burst and acceleration. I, I think he's a guy to be really excited about. And, um, you know, Auburn's had a lot of success in the mobile area getting great players, and uh, that's something they need to get back to. And I think, um, you know, Bryce Kane is a terrific start there. Auburn's up to 10 commitments. Uh, I think Saturday, Jalen Crawford, the four-star cornerback from over in Georgia, Parkview, is going to announce his decision. I think Auburn's the team to beat there. So they could be at 11 here within a, within a couple more days. Brian, I got to tell you, I, I think you're like the third or fourth guy we've had on here to tell us how impressed they were by Bryce Kane when they saw him in person. I can't remember who it was, but someone said, you know, they were more impressed by Bryce Kane than, than Cam Coleman, who, of course, committed to Texas A&M, but Auburn's still recruiting him. I mean, what is it about Bryce Kane? I, he just gained that fourth star from uh, from recruiting sites, but, you know, what, how, how have schools missed on this kid? Well, I think, you know, I think he's around 5'11", so that, that doesn't, um, you know, that could turn some, some teams off. But if you look at a kid like him and you put him in the slot with his speed and a team tries to, you know, bring up a safety to cover him or maybe even a linebacker, I mean, that's, that's trouble for the defense, right? He has that ability to, uh, to be that big play slot receiver uh, that a lot of offenses are looking for, right? If you want a, a big play offense, you've got to be able to, uh, you know, create those mismatches. And he – could become a real mismatch uh, for other teams, uh, you know, once he gets, you know, into Auburn, develops a little bit and gets, uh, you know, gets a hold of the offense and stuff. But, um, you know, I think the receiver position is big for Auburn in this class because they've got a lot of veterans and, and a lot of transfers that want to here for a year. So um, he's got a chance to come in and play right away, I feel like. Brian Matthews, AuburnRivals.com. The last question I have for you in this last minute that we do have with you, of course, Auburn in the Major League Baseball draft. They they had a, a another good season, and the Butch Thompson didn't finish the way they wanted, but they have some draft-eligible guys who can return to Auburn and help Butch next year as well. They do, and I think the biggest news there is Joseph Gonzalez was not drafted. Uh, he's returning. That's Auburn's a starter. Missed basically all of last season. Started the first week, and that was it. Uh, with that shoulder, back shoulder injury, he had surgery the last couple weeks of the season. Should be, you know, fully healed and ready to go uh, by uh, next spring. And also, uh, Bobby Pierce, the right fielder, one of Auburn's best players, will be back too for his sixth season. 
so, so you're talking about a middle of the order hitter and, uh, you know, maybe a Friday night starter um, coming back. Plus, they've really hit the transfer portal hard and got some really good players. Um, you know, the latest was that uh, kid from uh, Jacksonville State, Javon Hernandez, a second baseman, batted almost 400 with a bunch of doubles and triples and uh, uh, I think seven home runs, almost 50 RBIs, also a good base dealer. So, uh, you know, I feel like baseball to me is really gearing up to make another run to the, you know, potentially College World Series in, in 2024. I like what Butch Thompson and his staff are doing. Brian, how can people follow all of your fantastic Auburn coverage that you provide, especially leading up to SEC Media Days, during SEC Media Days, and as we prepare for fall camp, along with all the recruiting that goes on also? I appreciate that. And it's real easy. You can go to AuburnSports.com and sign up for a free trial online. You can follow me at uh, Twitter and now threads at BMATAU. Brian, thank you so much for your knowledge and taking time to join us. We're looking forward to catching up with you next week in Nashville as the Auburn Tigers prepare to take the podium on Tuesday. Take care until then, my friend, yep. and safe travels. All right. Take care. See you there. Brian Matthews joining us here on the Tide and Tiger Report on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Jimmy Ripple from Gator Boys, and you're listening to WNSP on 105.5.